You're listening to Lane Powell Live, www.lanepowell.com. It wouldn't be a legal presentation if we didn't include a disclaimer. We want to note that the information provided in this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. All information, content, and materials available today are for general informational purposes only. Legislation and regulations are always subject to change, so we recommend that you always check with your legal counsel to ensure that any advice you receive is current. You'll find our full disclaimer at our website, lanepowell.com. Thank you for joining us today. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on the Pacific Northwest Business Aviation Association's Leaders in Aviation podcast. My name is John Gale, President of the Pacific Northwest Business Aviation Association, and I'm joined by fellow PNBAA Governor, Executive Committee member, and Lane Powell attorney, Becky Maris. It was Becky who developed the idea of hosting a PNBAA podcast as we had been contemplating ideas to provide our members with unique content of interest to all. I'd first like to thank Becky for her initiative in making this podcast come to fruition and her law firm, Lane Powell, for their partnership, support in producing this podcast, and commitment to continuing professional education. In this podcast, we highlight people that contribute to aviation in interesting and sometimes fascinating ways. We're excited to speak with our guest today, who has a truly unique story to tell. His story includes universal lessons in business, geopolitical awareness, communications, innovation, critical thinking, negotiating skills, cultural competency. It also includes a little mystery and international intrigue. He will offer some exceptional insight into how these areas may all come together in situations that require a very high level of performance when, as is often the case, least expected. Who we have with us today is Captain Bo Corby. Bo's story transcends aviation, highlighting how complex the world of aviation really is. His story is of as much value to those in aviation as it is to business leaders, government officials, communications and public affairs professionals, and social science researchers. His story weaves in the areas I mentioned with aeronautical decision-making, exceptional airmanship, sound judgment, strong leadership, effective crew resource management, and situational awareness in what he learned as a result of his decision at 0430 local Tehran time to divert Northwest flight number 41 due to an in-flight emergency ultimately landing in the capital of Iran on June 19, 2005. Bo, welcome and thank you for your time today. It's an honor and privilege to speak with you. Thank you, John. The first thing, if you don't mind, would you just tell us a little bit about your journey, uh, the path from St. Louis University to Northwest Airlines DC-10 captain um, scheduled to fly from Mumbai to Amsterdam, but destined for Tehran early in the morning of June 19, 2005. Well, John, I uh, graduated from St. Louis University in uh, 1969. And during that period, there was a lot of airline hiring, although um, I did not have the flight experience to be able to qualify as the competition was really very difficult. Why was it so competitive at the well, time? Well, because of the Vietnam War, there were really quite a few pilots that gained military experience. And most of the airlines, of course, uh, as an example, for one position, there may be two or 3,000 applicants. So unless you had some really solid, good training and experience, they're going to pick the cream of the crop which is what was happening at that time. I elected to join the Marine Corps 
and went down for a physical to Navy Memphis, took the physical, got accepted, passed all the tests, and just prior to graduation, they called us all back for a final physical and washed out four of us. I had a refractive error in my left eye of .0015, and at that time, that was a disqualification. I had thought ahead, what if I can't get in the Marine Corps, um, what am I going to do? So I applied at Boeing. It just so happened through luck, uh, when the Marine Corps said no, Boeing said yes. So I went to work for the Boeing Company in 1969, working in their ground school as an uh, instructor for the Boeing airplanes. And that went on for a very short period of time because uh, Senator Proxmire shut down the SST, which basically shut down Boeing in Seattle. And I found myself on the, the bad end of a jackhammer doing anything I could to survive. So at that time I became really discouraged and wondered if flying was really what I was going to be able to do. So I actually bought a motorcycle and I rode around the United States. I took a year doing every job I could find to see if I was good at anything else and I wasn't. I wound up coming back uh, to Seattle after the year and I just threw resumes out to everything and wound up getting a job flying mail for the post office in uh, uh, Lubbock, Texas. I flew mail on the Beach 18 at night, uh, flying all kinds of weather conditions and aircraft. And really that set the baseline for my, uh, what flying skills I do have because it basically was a job of survival. That's what um, I was just gonna say, you lived to tell about it. You lived to tell about it. Those who weren't good didn't make it and I lost a number of friends uh, in that arena. Then following that, Boeing had gotten through its doldrums and was gearing up again to sell more airplanes and I got invited to come back and work in the ground school again, which I did for uh, a few years. And uh, I happened to uh, be out one evening and I, I saw a gentleman at a restaurant sitting by himself that I had recognized from the school uh, at Boeing and I went over and introduced myself and um, just started a conversation with him. It turns out he was the head dispatcher for Iran Air. And uh, at that time, Boeing was housing him in Tacoma and he had to take a bus every day. And it was, I could tell, really stressing him out. And I had rented a house that had four rooms and I offered, I said, I have a a free room Maybe in the house. Maybe we can work something out here. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. I said, <laughs> you know, I go to Boeing every day right where he was going. So uh, he was very appreciative and took me up on the offer. And uh, so he spent two weeks with me. And we got to be really good friends. And uh, then, of course, he goes off and disappears. And during the course of that two weeks, I explained to him that I really, I really wanted to fly for the airline. I, that was my goal. And how tough it was in the U.S. to do that, but I was going forward and I was determined that was what I was going to do. Two months later, I got a telegram from Iran and uh, from the Vice President of Operations inviting me to Tehran for an interview um, to become a flight engineer pilot with Iran Air. So I couldn't turn it down, so I went to Tehran, took the interview, and uh, two months later, I was in Tehran and I spent uh, about a year and a half, I believe, maybe a little more in Iran. And during that course of events, uh, I happened to come in contact with the Director of Operations of Syrian Arab 
Airlines, who really wanted me to come to work with Syrian Arabs. So I, I talked to the people at Iran Air, and they were kind of, um, I guess you might say, reducing their operation to a degree where they didn't mind if I took another job. Some of the pilots were starting to get back in the U.S. at that time. Were there a lot of uh, expatriate pilots? What, there like, actually, obviously a very different world then. I'd say 50% of the pilots at Iran Air at that time were um, foreigners, foreigners yeah. to Iran. To Iran, yeah. Yeah, they were, um, we had Dutch, French, Italian, uh, which was really interesting because the cockpit could have people from three different countries. And you really learned a lot. You need to learn really quickly how to get along with people that have very different backgrounds and very well, different uh, training and very different experience. Absolutely. Make it all work. So I went to Syria and I, I was in Syria about six or eight months um, and finally was contacted by a U.S. supplemental carrier that I had done some work for back in the 70s and got invited to, to go to work with them. And I thought, well, I, I finally made it to a U.S at least a U.S. kind of airline, and the first place they sent me to was Cairo. Fabulous experience. After that experience, I spent two months in uh, Sudan. Then eventually I got on with Hughes Air West in the U.S., and then Hughes merged with Republic, Republic merged with Northwest, and at Northwest, I finally got to captain on the DC-10, and that's when this particular interesting experience occurred. Right. So. Wow. And and unbeknownst to you, this is all laying the foundation for what is to what is to come. And I think that's true for anyone. No one really knows how their past experience uh, is going to eventually assist them in dealing with um, situations that occur which they have no knowledge of and and have to deal with. So. That's why I think it's so important to not only understand that kind of perspective as you go along through your life, through your career, and that sort of thing, that you, you, you just never know. And it's important to understand other people's perspective and how they work. You figure out ways to, to um, achieve your goals, complete a mission, whatever it is, by working with people that uh, may have a very, very different background from you, very different perspective than you and you just never know when, when that all comes together. But it sort of seems to me that there's value there, whether it's a, a captain on a flight deck or a business leader or a, uh, a politician, you know, so many different areas that, uh, that is, uh, that's just, I think, fundamentally important. So, Bo, you know, we're here to talk to you about a specific event. Maybe you could set just some of the background so we have a little bit of historical and geographical context. Perspective, yes. When... I got on originally the, the DC-10. Uh, Northwest Airlines, the early 2000s, they made an agreement with KLM, partnership with KLM. And what that did is it opened up a lot of uh, markets to Northwest that they hadn't previously had. As a result of that relationship between Northwest and KLM, our aircraft started flying routes uh, to Asia from the other way, through Europe. And so we really, truly became an around-the-world airline. Although we were before, this was truly with a route structure that circled the globe. And one of the routes that we had was Amsterdam to Mumbai, India, which originally was Bombay. Uh, it was a pretty long flight, typically um, eight and a half hours from Amsterdam to 
Mumbai, and we went across Europe, we'd cross Turkey, and we'd fly over Iran into Pakistan, across the Pakistani border into India, and then we'd come back basically the same way. This event, I had flown this trip at that time maybe 15 or 20 times, so I was fairly uh, familiar with it. Also, the Iraq war was going on, and on our Jepson maps, the whole country of Iraq was blanked out. It just had lines through it. There was no information. This is Desert Storm II, Iraq right. war, right? right. Yeah. The aircraft we were flying was a, um, a DC-10, what they called EER, extended range. It's a three-engine transport capable of carrying 255 people, plus a crew of seven. The lawyers of Lane Powell serve as trusted counsel, advocates, and advisors to clients who rely on us to resolve complex business, litigation, and regulatory challenges. We invite you to subscribe to periodic legal updates relevant to your business, written and published by lawyers from Lane Powell. To sign up, visit lanepowell.com forward slash subscribe and choose any topics that are relevant to your industry or business. Thank you for joining our discussion today. 